Uh, somebody don't let Jude fall. We don't need, uh, we don't need his parents to get all mad at us. Uh, Howard, that reminds me of when I was a youth pastor and we did a three-legged race and I made a real big mistake. And we were in the gym, which was a concrete gym, and uh, I put a really super tall dude with a really short dude. I said, on your mark and set, go. And the tall dude took a big step. The short dude took a very fast fall on his tooth onto the floor and chipped a sliver of his tooth off. Uh, the Sturkeys are still friends with me to this day. I don't know how, but anyway. <laughs> and a good time was had by all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. Uh, we did pick it up, put it in some milk. He went to the dentist and got it uh, glued back on or whatever they do. So uh, anyway, uh, good morning. My name is Alan Pittman. I'm uh, the senior pastor here as well as one of the elders. And we are absolutely thrilled that you're worshiping with us today, uh, whether you're here in the building or whether you're worshiping online. Uh, I do need to give a little bit of a caveat where I am. I had somebody come in to, uh, this morning and say, Alan, you look tired. And I'm not so much tired as I am my back. Uh, I've decided that I am an old man and I don't know what is going on with my back. It's hurting when I'm breathing. So um, anyway, so I'm a little uncomfortable. Uh, and so if I move around, my mannerisms are a little bit calmer than what you're used to seeing. I'm not mad. I'm not tired. I'm just kind of dealing with whatever's going on with my back. So uh, you can be praying for me with that. I've got a busy day today uh, with new members uh, class and uh, then also the stewardship thing this evening. So if you can be praying for me. That'd be amazing. Along those same lines, we do have a new member class today. Uh, we've got several that have signed up for that. If you are interested in going to the class and you've not signed up, it's okay. You can still come, be a part of it. It's happening after the service. We have childcare. We have some food. Uh, the meeting will be upstairs. Uh, the kids, I think, are going to be back there. If you are going to the class, do me a favor. I didn't get all the details. I just kind of show up where I'm supposed to be. But when church is over with, check in at the cafe, and they will tell you uh, where you need to go. Chad uh, Gardner is in charge of hospitality. He'll kind of help you uh, steer in the right direction. But there is still room if you're interested in being a part of that class today. One other thing, real quick, as far as announcements are concerned. Mark your calendar, literally. Literally mark your calendar. Do not be out of town do not pass go, do not collect $200, uh, but be here at church on Sunday, August the 27th. Be in the service that morning. We need all of our church members here. We need everybody here. And then that evening, we're having a family celebration. Uh, Jacob is going to provide food for the family celebration. And uh, no, we'll probably figure something out for food. But there is a family celebration that evening. And in all seriousness, the things that we talk about that morning and that evening are of absolute pertinence. They are good news. It's not bad news. It's good news. So come be a part of that. August the 27th, you do not want to miss. If you've already got something on your calendar and you can move it, try your best to move it. Be here that morning and that evening. All right. When you came in this morning, hopefully you picked up a worship guide. And on the back of the worship guide, you'll see a place where you can take some notes and uh, the title for this message, where we are, and then where we're going to be next week. Um, week after next, we'll be jumping back into the book of Acts, but next week we'll be in Romans chapter 8. Uh, we're doing a small series called Empowered, and the reality is this, a key role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a follower of Jesus is to guide and empower us to follow Jesus. And so you probably noticed on the top of your sermon notes, the title is Walk by the Spirit. We're to walk by the Spirit, and I want us to be really careful to hear me say this. This morning, I'm not asking you to try to do better. 
When I talk about walking by the Spirit, it's not like, okay, I haven't been walking by the Spirit, and you're like, I don't know what it is yet, we'll talk about it. But the reality is, it's not, I need to try better to walk by the Spirit, because that's making it works-based. And so for us to stay in the gospel, we have to understand to walk by the Spirit is allowing the Holy Spirit to do His work in us. It's this sense of being aware of the Holy Spirit's guidance in our lives, and then moving in the direction that He is leading us. And I want to acknowledge that there's a bit of a balance here. Whenever we talk about walking by the Spirit or walking in the Spirit, there's a bit of a balance. And what I mean by that is this. It's first and foremost, 100%, the Spirit's initiative and empowerment that allows us to walk in the Spirit. And at the same time, there's a sense of a human cooperation with the work of the Spirit. So yes, it's the work of the Spirit, but also there is the sense that the person, you and I, need to be willing participants in what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. And so the question that I want to ask us this morning is this, what would it be like if Living Hope was full of people who are walking by the Spirit? What would Living Hope be like if Living Hope was full of people who are walking by the Spirit. No doubt there are some of us that are walking by the Spirit. There's also some of us that perhaps aren't walking by the Spirit, and perhaps there are some of us, depending on the day of the week or the time of the day, we may or may not be walking by the Spirit. But I ask, what would it be like if we were full of people that are not perfect, but people that are walking by the Spirit? Hopefully you got a Bible with you. If you do, go ahead and grab that. Turn to the book of Galatians. Paul wrote this to uh, the church in Galatia. Um, you can look in your table of contents if you need to. It's on page 1,762 in my Bible, uh, but I don't know what page it is in yours. Uh, you can grab a Bible uh, that's near you, underneath a chair or beside you. If you don't have a Bible or you need one or know someone who does, take that. That's a gift from us. We'll be looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. Now, anytime you jump into the middle of a passage, you need to realize there are things that lead up to what is being said. And you'll notice right away that in the ESV, the first word here is but. And so for it to tie in, you need to kind of go back and see what happens prior to that. Just a real quick thing is Paul says that when we're in Jesus Christ, we are free. And he wants to clarify how that freedom is to be used. And so let's pick up the story or the, his writing in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. We'll read through the end of the chapter. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In this passage, we can see that there is a clear picture 
of a need to walk by the Spirit. There's a clear picture of what it looks like to walk by the Spirit or in the Spirit versus those that don't walk by the Spirit. Perhaps you noticed in three different verses the idea of walking by, being led by, being guided by, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit is mentioned. You may want to jot it down. It's verse 16, verse 18, and verse 25. These phrases are found in those verses. Verse 16 says, walk by the Spirit. Verse 18 describes it this way, be led by the Spirit. And then verse 25 describes it by saying, keep in step with the Spirit. Now I want us to go back and look at verse 16. Verse 16, Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, if we're not careful, we will look at this verse and say, oh, there's a command here. There's a command here. I am supposed to walk by the Spirit. I'm being told to do that. Well, in a sense, yes, but this really isn't a command. Rather, verse 16 has a huge promise. Don't miss it. The promise says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, based on who God is, the Holy Spirit promises, God promises the Holy Spirit will not let us give in to sin when we walk by the Holy Spirit. So the whole thing, beginning in verse 16, makes it clear that we have a promise, we have an assurance that when and if we are walking by the Spirit, we won't cave in to the desires of the flesh. And so what I want us to see is that in this passage, there is a huge warning, but at the same time, there is a huge assurance of God's promise that the Spirit is with us. Now this morning, instead of having a bunch of points that say, do this, do that, or this is kind of the conclusion, rather the points that I'm going to make and the things that are going to be on the screen are primarily going to be questions. And I want you to ask these questions of yourself and see how the text answers those questions. Here is the first question. And that is, is the Holy Spirit guiding your life? Is the Holy Spirit guiding your life? See, this text makes it clear that we will either walk by the Spirit or we're going to give in to or gratify the desires of the flesh. So I want us to look at a couple of the words there. If the options are we either walk by the Spirit or we give in to or gratify the desires of the flesh. What does the word walk mean? What does the word gratify mean? What is the Greek meaning behind those words? First of all, walk. Walk does not simply mean, as I've pointed out the last couple of weeks, it's not getting from point A to point B. Walk is not like the, um, not opposite, but the slow version of running. Walk, in this sense, is not talking about how do I transport myself from here to there. Rather, the word walk here means how do you live your life. And to walk by the Spirit, you need to picture or see that it's a picture of following steps and the path that the Spirit leads us on. So it's to go in the direction that the Spirit is leading us. So it's not simply about walking from point A to point B. Rather, it is, is your life reflecting what the Holy Spirit is commanding you to do and where he is leading you. 
So let's now look at the word gratify. So we can either go the direction the Holy Spirit is leading us, or we can gratify the desires of the flesh. The word gratify has several different um, ways to look at the definition of it, but one of those ways is to carry something out. It's the sense of gratifying the desires of the flesh carries with it the sense of taking our orders from the flesh and then fulfilling it. So instead of taking our orders from the Spirit and walking by the Spirit, if we're gratifying the flesh, then we are taking the orders from our sinfulness and we are fulfilling, completing, accomplishing what our sin and our sinful flesh wants to do. So another way to ask this question of, is the Holy Spirit guiding your life? Another way to ask that question is, are you being guided by the Spirit or by your sinful desires? Are you being guided by the Spirit or by your sinful desires? You're like, well, I don't really know. Like, I don't know if I'm really being guided by the Holy Spirit. I don't know that I'd go so far to say that I'm gratifying my, holy, my, my fleshly desires. I'm somewhere in the middle. Let me tell you, there is no middle ground. You see, middle ground is gratifying our sinful desires. I didn't ask you, are you an axe murderer? I said, are you giving in to your sinful desires? And if you're trying to ride the fence, then you are gratifying the desires of the flesh. Now let's look at verse 17. It says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. It says that the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit are opposed to each other. They are hostile towards one another. They don't go together. They are definitely like oil and water. They don't mix. And he's saying there is a battle, there is a cosmic battle in your in your body that is going between am I going to follow the Holy Spirit or am I going to gratify the desires of the flesh? You see, giving in to the desires of the flesh means that we end up doing what we don't want to do. I mean, that's what he says at the end of verse 17, right? He says these are colliding with each other, they're opposing to each other, and as a result of that, it keeps you from doing the things you want to do. Sadly, too many Christians live their Christian life defeated. Like, I want to follow Jesus, but I'm not. I want to walk by the Spirit, but gratifying the flesh is so easy. Like, I have a want to, I have a desire, but you know what? It's hopeless. I'll never walk by the Spirit. It's like they've waved their white flag, they've signed a truce with their sin and they're like okay I'm just going to try to keep this in to a minimum and not get too wild and crazy with it and it's just the way that it is now hear me clearly you cannot walk by the spirit you cannot stop gratifying the desires of the flesh on your own you cannot do it but with the Holy Spirit in you you can and so for a follower of Jesus who is and dwelt by the Holy Spirit to wave their white flag and say, I might as well give up, I'm going to give in to my fleshly desires, is a sad situation. Let's not sign a truce with our sin. Instead, let us live 
with full confidence in the Holy Spirit because He is sufficient. Sometimes whenever we say the word sufficient, we think it's like a less than. Well, you know, that'll do. Uh, I'd rather get the name brand product, but I guess a generic is sufficient. Don't get me Dr. Thunder, get me Dr. Pepper. Okay, Dr. Thunder is not sufficient. But the reality is the word sufficient when it's mentioned in Scripture, is way more than kind of the connotation we would give it. To say that the Holy Spirit is sufficient means He is more than able, more than capable. He is victorious. And if you and I are caving into our fleshly desires, all we need to do is get back our, our eyes back on the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives, and He is more than capable to guide us through the mess of this life and the sin and the sinful desires that are around us. So my question is, are you living in defeat or are you living in victory, not because of who you are, but because of the Holy Spirit is? We should live in and out of the truth of verse 16 that promise walk by the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh i was reading a commentary this week and they kind of took the liberty to kind of uh you've heard of like the amplified ver amplified version of the bible it's not a version it's like just a paraphrase they kind of amplified the greek okay and they acknowledged the the strength of the greek words here and and they said the greek could be rewarded in such a way in verse 16 to say this if you walk by the Spirit, you will in no way, not a chance, absolutely not fulfill the desires of the flesh. There's power in the Spirit. So I finish this question by asking you the question, are you walking by the Spirit? Or are you gratifying the desires of the flesh? All right, let's get to the next question. It'll be on the screen. Are you killing your passions and desires or are they killing you? Are you killing your passions and desires, or are they killing you? Let's look real quickly at the Greek word for desires and passions. Similar words, similar concepts. The word des desire means lust or craving. It's a manifestation of sin. It carries with it the idea of apostasy of God. In other words, abandonment of our Christian beliefs, walking away from God. If we give in to our desires, that's what we're doing. Passions carries with it the idea of a strong physical desire especially of the sexual nature. So my question is, are you killing your passions and desires or are they killing you because one or the other is taking place? Now, again, let me clarify. When I say, are you killing the passions and desires of the flesh? I'm not asking, are you doing it in your strength? I'm asking, are you walking in the Holy Spirit in order that you are killing your passions and desires through the work and power of of the Holy Spirit. Now look at verses 19 through 21. 19 through 21 describes what these fleshly desires and passions blossom into. It says in verse 19, the category says, these are the works of the flesh. These are the works of the flesh and they are evident. You may look at this and you're like, yep, some of this is evident. And the others are like, oh, my goodness, I didn't know that was such a big deal. Why is that listed among all these others that are big deal? Because any sin or rebellion against God is absolutely bad. There's no degrees of sin. Granted, there can be degrees of consequences on this earth for the sins that we commit. But sin is sin. Rebellion against God is rebellion against God. And all of us are sinners. So he lists here some of these evil fleshly desires 
the works of the flesh. I'm not going to take the time to walk through all 15. I believe that's how many there are in verses 19 through 21, but I'm going to kind of look at categories, if you will. Look at the first three in verse 19. You'll see verse 19, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. These are clearly all categorized as sexual sins. In this day and age where sexual sins are overlooked and labeled as something other than sin, let me just clarify by God's word where we stand as a congregation. Sexual sin is any act of sexuality that's outside of the context of marriage of one man and one woman. Anything outside of that qualifies as sexual sin. We are not going to bend or break over that. Are there sexual sins in your life that are living out the works of the flesh in you? Then in verse 20, we see two that fit together, and that is um, idolatry and sorcery. These could be categorized as religious sins, where we end up worshiping and pursuing other gods, as if there are any other gods. We end up pursuing other idols and other spirits. Are there religious sins in your life? And then there's a huge category of the next eight that could be lumped together. In verses 20 through 21 in the ESV, it starts with enmity and ends with envy. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Have you opened up Facebook or Twitter lately? That's where you find all those things. You're like, yeah, it's there. Well, guess what? It's in here too. I made a mistake. I'm going to blame it on a coworker who asked me if I knew something that was going on in the in in Southern Baptist Convention, and I didn't know what they were referencing. So I went to Twitter and I got my information, and then I just allowed myself to get sucked in because I was so frustrated by how people were demeaning people that are godly people and acting as if they were heretics. And I felt like my reaction was right, but I was allowing inwardly to cause strife and enmity between me and people I didn't even know. So these, these eight sins are kind of relational or social sins. Are there those kinds of sins in your life? And then the last two, verse 21, I got to move faster, sorry. I told you I'm moving slowly with my back. I need to get moving faster. Verse 21, drunkenness and orgies. And things like these, those are sins of excess. So my question is, how do we respond to these passions? How do we respond to these desires? How do we respond to these sins? Some of us go, I know how I'm going to respond. I'm just going to give in. If it feels good, do it. That's the wrong response. Others of you are going, I know how I'm going to do it. I'm going to try harder to not commit these sins. I'm going to have more willpower. My answer to you is no. The only way that we can combat these fleshly desires is through the Spirit's empowerment. The only way that we can combat these fleshly desires and these sins are if we are walking by the Spirit. The good news is the Spirit is victorious. And if you are a follower of Jesus, the Spirit reigns within you and you can confidently, not in your own, but in the promise of God's Word, you can confidently walk under the victory banner of the Holy Spirit. It's His work and not ours. Are you walking in defeat? Are you walking in victory? If you're walking in victory, the only way you can do that is to walk in the victory of the empower of the Holy Spirit within you. 
Look down in verse 24. Verse 24, after he uh, has listed those things, and he lists the fruit of the Spirit, which we'll look at in a moment, he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. You see, believers' sins and fleshly desires were crucified on the cross with Jesus. We've got the cross over here as a display, as a reminder, and in just a moment, we're going to allow you to respond and actually use this cross to crucify your sins. I'm going to explain the process in just a minute, but on my right side, on the left end of your row, is a stack of little cards. If the person that's nearest to the end of that row doesn't mind, I'd like for you to grab that stack and take a card and pass it down to the rest of the people on your row. And what I want you to think through is, are there sins in your life that you need to ask by the power of the Holy Spirit to crucify in your life? It could be that you have sexual sins. It could be that you have relational sins. It could be that you have religious sins. It could be that you have um, uh, sins of excess. And in just a minute, as a response of the, uh, at the response time, I'm going to encourage you to do one of a couple of things. One, if there's sin that's active in your life and you'd like the Holy Spirit to do his work, to crucify it in your life, I'd like for you to jot that sin down. Don't put your name on it. Just jot that sin down. If you feel like you're doing a decent job of walking by the Spirit, then reflect on the sins in your life that the Lord has forgiven for you, and you can jot those down. And in the response time, we'll actually have hammer and nails here where you can crucify it uh, by placing it on the cross. Now, I understand that could be a little gibbicky, that could be whatever, you don't have to do that, but it can be a tangible reminder that we're called to crucify the sin that's in our lives. You see, the Holy Spirit wants you to walk in the victory of overcoming the sin in your life, and He wants to help you put to death the sin and the fleshly desires that's in your heart. Will you allow Him to help you crucify your sins? I don't want you to miss the warning that's found in verse 21 at the end of the verse. At the verse, at the end of the list of the evil things, he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, he's listed those works of the flesh, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to make an evaluation of your life. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you accepted his payment on the cross on your behalf and if so if so are there sins in your life that would seem to indicate otherwise because it says here it says here that anyone who has these sins in their life will not inherit the kingdom of God now what he is not saying is this if you have committed those sins you can't go to heaven but what he's saying is a genuine person who has placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ are not wallowing in their sin and living in the depths of that depravity. And if you are living in your sin and rolling in the depths of that depravity, the question is, have you ever truly acknowledged 
that you're a sinner in need of a Savior named Jesus Christ. Because he says that these works do not define the life of a believer. Have you experienced salvation? Have your sins been crucified with Christ? You see, all of us, according to Scripture, are sinners. All of us have walked our own way contrary to what God would have us to do. And because of that, Scripture says that the wages of our sin is death and that we deserve eternal, forever separation from a holy, perfect God. But the good news is that God brought a solution, and that solution is Jesus Christ. He sent Jesus to walk on this earth, to live a perfect life that you and I cannot live, to die a death that you and I deserve, to crucify our sins to the cross, that if we place our faith and our trust in his death on our behalf and his resurrection three days later, that we could be forgiven of our sins. So my question is, have you turned to Jesus in an acknowledgement that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness of your sins? And if you have, if you have, are you walking by the Spirit or are you living by the flesh? So the next question I have that will be on the screen is, are you being led by the Spirit or by the flesh? Is your life defined by your fleshly desires and passions, or is your life defined by the work of the Holy Spirit? In verse 25, we see that those who live by the Spirit will keep in step with the Spirit, in harmony with the Spirit. So my question is, which dynamic characterizes your life? Is it a sinful nature, or is it the Spirit? We can try to answer this question in a, a lot of different ways. We can try to ignore this question. We can try to justify ourselves as we answer it, but we'll see that the answer is found in one place, and I want to go ahead and put that on the screen. The answer is found in the fruit that your life is producing. What kind of fruit is your life producing? Is your life producing the fruit or the works of the flesh, or is your life producing the fruit of the Spirit. Whenever we started this morning, we asked the question, are we walking by the Spirit? If we're walking by the Spirit, then the proof is going to be found in the fruit that is being produced, and that should be the fruit of the Spirit. Look at verses 22 and 23. In verses 22 and 23, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I want you to notice that it says the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say fruits. It's singular. You can't go, well, I'm pretty good at this, this, and this, but I just don't have any patience. No, the reality is it's singular. It's one thing that's expressed in a variety of ways because the fruit of the Spirit means we're walking by the Spirit. If we're walking by the Spirit, then these virtues, these character traits will define our lives. Don't try to divide and conquer and say, well, I'll work on this and I'll get to this later. No, allow the Spirit to walk in your, work in your life and walk in His power so that you can produce the fruit of the Spirit. Is your life defined by these things? Look at it real quickly. Love. Love for God and for others. Love for God's Word and for His church. Joy. Not happiness. Not based on your circumstances, but rather Spirit-filled and Spirit-driven joy, peace, freedom from anxiety, freedom from inner turmoil, peace with a holy, perfect God, patience, the one that all of us really don't like very much, probably long-suffering for Christ, kindness, a love 
of God that's manifested in Christ and spread abroad by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Goodness, moral excellence, faithfulness to the things of God and His Word, gentleness, which enables a believer to correct others without arrogance. There's nothing more frustrating to me than a believer act arrogantly towards someone else when they point out their sin because my thing is, do you not see the sin in your own life? Rather, there should be a kind of gentleness of a loving correction of sin in someone's life without an arrogance. And then the last one that's listed is self-control. We want to realize that he's not saying, okay, you do it all in your own power and your own strength, but rather self-control means that this is a person who masters their desires and passions through the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. You see, the qualities are spirit-empowered, and at the same time, we as believers are called to cultivate and be active in cultivating these. As you look at your life, Are you producing works of the flesh, or are you producing the fruit of the Spirit? I want you to consider different circumstances of life. And as you consider these segments of life, and please understand, I don't think we should subdivide our lives. I'm just talking about different areas where we go as we walk through life. Are you displaying the works of the flesh, or are you displaying fruit of the Spirit online, social media, in your conversations? As you drive down the road and somebody cuts in front of you, while you're at the store, when you're in hope group, when you're in your home with your family, when you're just in your head and you're in your thought life, when you're taking in media, television, movies, music, when you're having a conversation with people who think differently than you, vote differently than you, live in a different part of the world than you. In all of those circumstances, are you displaying the works of the flesh or are you displaying the fruit of the Spirit? You see, a person producing the fruit of the Spirit should be consistent wherever they go. And yet at the same time, I'm not saying that a person who's walking by the Spirit will never sin because we still will have sin in our lives at times. Perhaps you're familiar with John Calvin John Calvin said this, the spiritual man is not free from the lusts of their flesh and their often enticements, but he does not submit to letting them reign over him. So are you allowing the spirit to reign over you or are you allowing the fleshly desires to reign over you? My question is this, what do we do when we fail to live according to the fruit of the spirit here's what you need to do acknowledge your sin sorry acknowledge your sin ask god's forgiveness and then ask him to get you back in step with the holy spirit it's that simple whenever we don't demonstrate the fruit of the spirit acknowledge your sin in other words confess your sin ask for god's forgiveness and then ask him to get you back in step with the holy spirit As we kind of wind down our time together, I want us to look at verse 16 again. Verse 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us, that enables us to walk in victory instead of defeat. If you're constantly walking 
in defeat. If you're constantly living out the lusts of the flesh, then it's very likely that you've never truly been saved. So my question to you this morning is, what is the Spirit saying to you? Some of you need to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Others of you need to say yes to following him in believer's baptism. Others of you need to say yes to church membership. There could be a variety of things that the Holy Spirit is saying to you, but will you say yes to him this morning? Some things that we can do to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in our lives is we have to come in a posture of presenting ourselves to him for him to do his work in our lives. We have to come engaging in prayer, asking for the Holy Spirit's help and guidance. We need to spend time in the Scripture asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us through the Holy Scripture. We should be feeding upon His promises. Not name it, claim it, but feeding on the promises that are true that we see in verse 16 that when we walk by the Spirit, we won't gratify the flesh, the lust of the flesh. And we should be abiding in Christ. Remember John 15, if you're familiar with that, Jesus says that He is the vine and we are the branches and that we're to abide in him and he will abide in us. How does he abide in us? He abides in us by the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And in order for us to experience the work and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we need to be abiding in Christ. To abide in Christ means we must study his word. We must spend time in prayer. We, meet, we must spend time with other believers. Are you abiding in Christ so the Holy Spirit can do his work in your life? I said a moment ago that we're going to use this cross over here not only as a visual reminder of what Christ has done on our behalf as he died for our sins, and then, of course, that's not the end of the story. He was raised, the tomb is empty. But as he was crucified on the cross, he took our sins with him, and they are nailed to the cross. Some of us need to turn to him for forgiveness for the very first time. Others of us need to ask for forgiveness. Jesus, you crucified my sins. Why do I keep ripping them off the cross and living them out in my life again? We're commanded and told by this passage of Scripture that we're to crucify the, the desires of the flesh. Verse 24 says that. Verse 24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So this morning, as we respond in just a moment, we'll have two songs. And as we sing these songs, the first song, I'll be available here at the front for you to come pray with. You can come pray at the altar. You can come pray with someone else. You can come up. You can take your slip of paper where you've jotted down that sin. Please don't put your name on it and fold it over. And there'll be some uh, of our deacons down here helping you to nail that to the cross. And including if you're unsure about stepping up on the stage, we have a way for you to do that without stepping on the stage. And if there's nothing magical about nailing it to the cross. You don't have to do that. But if you choose to do that, that's a physical, tangible reminder that we're called by the power of the Holy Spirit to crucify the flesh the sinful desires of the flesh, and to follow the Holy Spirit. And acknowledge that as we do that, it's not just going, ah, i got to be a better person, so I'm going to nail that to the cross. Rather, it's saying, I'm nailing this to the cross because I've been commanded to do so, not literally here, but crucifying the sinful desires. And in turn, I'm going to walk by the Spirit and seek that the Holy Spirit would guide my life. During the second song, there'll be a time where some offering plates are passed. That's where you can drop your connection card. If you filled that out, you can also drop a giving envelope or a prayer request card, all of those things. So anytime during these next two songs, the cross is available if you want to come and nail your sheet of paper up there 
and there'll be some people there to help you, and I'll be available to pray with you down front. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. Father, we thank you for the reminder that you have given us the Holy Spirit. For those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, you have given us your Holy Spirit, and your Holy Spirit empowers us to walk in his way, to keep in step with him. Father, we pray that we would be led as individuals and corporately as a church family by the Holy Spirit, that we would demonstrate and produce the fruit of the Spirit, that we would abide in Christ in such a way that it just naturally begins to grow and blossom and we begin to reflect who you are instead of the sins of the flesh. Father, I pray that we would take these next few moments seriously and that we wouldn't just think that we're doing some kind of neat little exercise or that we even have to come up and, and nail this to the cross, but instead may we sincerely, whether by coming up here or praying at our seat, may we sincerely seek to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives so that the sins in our lives may be crucified so that we can walk more closely with you. Father, I pray that your will would be done in this place, that the Holy Spirit would guide us, and we would say yes to him. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you would, would you stand with us? And we're going to sing together. I'm available here up front. There's some folks up here to help you. Um, they're not going to read your card. They're just going to help you nail it if you need help. And let's respond as the Holy Spirit leads us this morning. Let's sing. <laughs>